<laughs> well, it is awesome to be here, and uh, it is really a privilege. And as Don said, we haven't had an event for a week. It's been actually quite chilled. Um, our first shower experience upstairs was uh, Meg showering, then getting ready and going downstairs, and me getting the shower, and then hearing screams from below, and coming up, and this water coming straight through the floor onto the, the lounge floor. Um, so we thought, okay, that's, that's fine, that we can go to another bathroom, you know. So we went to another bathroom and used the next bathroom the next day, and uh, that was in the other part of the house. And uh, I was walking underneath, and I was like, Ben, stop showering. And that water was coming through onto that section. So one thing we've realized is that in our house, two people can shower at the same time. <laughs> one at the top and one at the bottom. So... Anyway, you guys have been awesome. Uh, those who we have had the privilege of meeting with and having dinners with, thank you so much. We really do appreciate this community. We've loved our two weeks, I think it has been, that we've been down here. The weather's been great. Uh, and just God has been so faithful. He really has. Uh, this is a special community. And uh, when we were asked to come down and just part of this story, it was an absolute delight for us to be able to say, yeah, we want to come. Uh, we really just believe in you guys. We believe in what God is doing here. Uh, we believe in what God is doing here so much that we would pack up what we knew in Joburg to be here. And uh, we want to just connect with you as much as possible. As Don said, if you have time in your diary, connect with us. We'd love to get to know you, hear your hearts, and really just partner with you as we see God expand what He is doing here in Seaburg. Amen. All right. Thanks for the team who was on worship. Why don't you give them a round of applause? It's so good. I always say, I'm a worship leader, and I always say, preaching is far easier than leading worship. I always say that because you don't realize what's going on on stage all at one time, trying to coordinate everyone and make sure everyone is staying with the drummer or something like that. All right, what happened in 1955? 1955, Marty McFly is stuck in 1955, trying desperately to get back to 1985. Have you ever watched Back to the Future? Does it, have you guys watched it? I've watched it many a times. Back to the Future is epic. But Marty McFly, 1955, finds himself stuck. He, he, he searches, he finds Doc, and he's like, Doc, we need to get back to 1985. But they realize that there's not enough power to inject the flux capacitor you remember the flux capacitor, that thing that was happening inside the car? They needed enough power that only a lightning bolt could give one point, what was it, 1.21 gigawatts of power to send the DeLorean back into 1985. So what did they do? So they were just chatting about, and Marty remembers that at 10.04 p.m. on a specific night that the Hill Valley Tower was struck by? Lightning. I'm getting you guys. You can remember. I can just imagine you going home like, I need to watch that again. That was just amazing. And so what happens is Marty McFly, he, he says, okay, what we need to do, and they work it out, we need to make sure that the DeLorean is going at 88 miles per hour, 142 kilometers per hour, at the same time with the little lightning rod that touches the cable 
at the same time the lightning bolts power is coming down the cable and at the specific time, at just the right time, it touches. Not, not too quick, not too slow. We have to make sure that at the right time, the lightning rod on the vehicle touches the cable so that we can get enough of the electricity that is needed into the flux capacitor at just the right time. And what happens? They do it. You know, Hollywood is amazing. They just are able to do it just at the right time. So at just at the right time, the DeLorean is going down at 142 k's an hour, and the cable touches as the lightning comes through the cable, and boosh, Marty McFly gets sent back to 1985. There, yay! <laughs> Can you imagine if he did it? There would be big problems. There'd be sequel upon sequel upon sequel. You see, in life, there are right places and right times. Those are the things that we desire. But yet many times there are right places and wrong times. We find ourselves in the right time, but in the wrong place. Or maybe in the wrong place, as well as the wrong time. When I first met, when I first told Meg that I loved her, that's my wife, right there. If you don't know who Megan is, she's sitting, not that Megan. That Megan's married to, to class. I don't know why you guys sit together. We should actually put you on the other side of the room. But this Megan now, when I first sat at the whistle stop in Peter Maritzburg and I looked into her eyes, my heart was totally in love with this woman. And I said, I loved her. I realized at that moment that it was the right thing to say at the right place, but at the wrong time. <laughs> Because she did not respond in the same way. And I'm sure we've all had that experience before. It feels like most of humanity is striving to make sure that everything lines up at just the right time so that we can be transported into an instant future that is full of our dreams and our desires. I would even say that there are so many people living with unfulfilled promises spoken even by God over our lives that keep us asking, keep us praying, longing for the right time for them to be awakened and released. In this room, God has spoken over people. In this room, God has given you direction, but it's like you've been waiting for that right moment for God to release you into that space. Could it be this year? Could it be this afternoon? Could it be even right now? I do not know, but I'm trusting as we go through this sermon of being the right time, God would come and awaken us to the possibilities that He is preparing for us. At the right time, Abram hears the voice of an angel as he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac, that actually there is a provision from heaven, a substitutionary lamb that is caught in the thickets. At just the right time, Moses, tending the sheep, comes across the burning bush and hears his voice. He could have been in a different place at that time, but at just the right time, he hears the voice of God. At just the right time, Elijah meets up with a widow who's going to eat her last, but yet is able to provide something of a miracle in her family. At just the right time, Esther addresses her, her husband, the king, and sees the whole nation saved from ultimate death. As you would have worked out, my title this morning is, At Just the Right Time. At Just the Right Time. There are many at just the right time moments that fill the pages of Scripture. Time is interesting because As powerful as man is and, and as sophisticated and intelligent man is, there's one thing we cannot control here on planet Earth. 
I don't know if you've ever looked at the clock on your kitchen wall and tried to stop that second hand from moving. How do you do it? You take the battery out. Yes, I know, but actually it's impossible <laughs> to stop the second hand from moving. We can all in this room right now take out the batteries on our, on our watches. We can do it right now, but yet the world out there is still ticking away. There's nothing we can do. We are at the mercy of this slave driver called time. You and I have lived in this time-governed reality, but God. But God. God is not dictated by our 24-hour day. God is not dictated by the sun rising and setting and the moon rising and setting. No, God lives outside of time. And the amazing thing is that every account in Scripture that we read of, of where God breaks in, it's because God has come from His existence, His orbit of existence, of His authoritative space, and He has broken into our 24-hour day, and He's intervened into our lives to provide something that would catapult us, catapult the Moseses, the Abrahams, the Esthers, the Johns, the Jules, the Sarahs, into something of the preferred future that God has called them to. It's these God moments that invade our time that we so desire, and I pray that even this morning God would do that in our lives. Even the, at the, even the greatest at the just the right time moment of Jesus arriving on planet Earth, He could have come 400 years uh, later, He could have come 400 years earlier, but He comes at a point when Herod was killing all the firstborns. Can you imagine it being Mary? Your child, giving birth to your son, knowing that Herod is out to destroy him. It was not the right time for humanity to bring up any young man in a, in a society, but yet in God, it was the right time to bring the light of the world into one of the darkest spaces of history. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 5 says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. At just the right time, He sends Christ to redeem us. Romans 5 verse 6, it says that, For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the powerless. He died for the ones who were sickly. He died for the ones who were helpless, that needed a Savior at just the right time. And you might be saying, well, that's fine for everyone else, but what about me personally? What about drilling down into, into who I am, the fiber of who I am? Psalm 139, verse 13 to 14 is a beautiful portion of Scripture in the New Living Translation. And it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Who did? God did. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Yes, we are complex, eh? Society is complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know. You watch me as I was being formed in the utter seclusions, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. At just the right time, you were woven and knitted in your mother's womb. I don't know where you come from, what has happened in your past, 
what your existence looks like. I don't even know what you think of yourself, but I know what Scripture thinks of you. I know what God thinks of you. That at just the right time, He would choose you to come and live here on planet Earth in 2013. At just the right time, God would know that my parents would be living in KZN during the riots. And have to deal with all that they dealt with. At just the right time, God knew. And He knew that you'd be here in this local house at just the right time. Why? Because He knew that 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, He would knit you in your mother's room for such a time as this today. That's the God we serve. The God that knows all things because at just the right time, He chose to close doors and open doors. He chose to release you. He chose to give you a job opportunity. He chose for that person to pick up the phone and speak to that person who knows of you to offer you something of an opportunity to relocate down to this part of the world. Why, for such a time as this, at just the right time, God has placed you in these seats for a purpose. Where did it start? It started in your mother's womb. It started in your mother's womb. So, over and over again, we see the hand of God moving at just the right time, skillfully molding and shaping our existence in everyday life. But it does not make the waiting season I find myself in easier. We want the release. We want the breakthrough. But the waiting season is one of the hardest seasons every single one of us would have to walk through. And so I want to just trust us with four different points that I pray this morning would encourage us during the waiting season. During the season of ultimately waiting for that just the right time moment, how do we keep faithful? How do we keep strong? How do we keep moving in the right direction until that moment comes that God releases us? We don't want to get distracted along the way. So the first one is this. We need to trust God. We need to trust God. Of course I trust God. Do we trust God? Do we? Yes. Okay. That's a good thing. The minute I stop trusting God is the minute fear starts to creep in. How many of us have felt fearful this week? It's real. It's real. But when we trust God... There's something that we have to find ourselves in the waiting season of going, well, I've been waiting a long time. Fear is creeping at my door. God, how do I trust you again? How do I, I link my anchor into you again and trust the voice of God again? How do I get myself into a place where even as the psalmist in Psalm 31 verse 14 says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. They're in your hands, not in your boss's hands, not in the government's hands. It says, deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Here's the psalmist David saying, God, actually I want to declare again that I'm in your hands. I want to trust you again because I've slid into a place where I've allowed the hands of the enemy to creep in around me, where fear has set in, insecurity has set in. God, I want to come back to a place where I acknowledge that I'm trusting you. Why? Because your hand cradles me in every aspect of my life. My faith trusts in the revelation that God knows when the right time will come. God knows. 
when Meg and I wanted to get married, I literally wanted to be engaged for three months and get on with it. What else is there to do in Peter Maritzburg? Anyway, just get married and have kids. That's what, what the whole purpose of living in Maritzburg is. But yet I needed to realize that there was a right time. There was a moment. I needed to make sure that actually I acknowledged that I was ready. I don't think you ever are ready, but anyway, ready. It's like people saying, I want to be, get ready to have kids. Excuse me, you'll never get ready to have kids. Just have kids and just keep having them while the brain is in a mush because... The minute you work it out, you stop having kids. And then you're like, ah! <laughs> so when is the right time? Often we want to know the right time. We want to say this is the right time. If tomorrow at 10 o'clock I know. It's amazing how even Jesus addresses the disciples. when they say, well, when will the ascension take place? When will Jesus come? And what does he say to them? Acts 1 verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. I think sometimes we're resting around this time thing. We're resting around the, at the right moment, and yet God is saying, just live your life. Get on with it. Plow the fields. Plant the seeds. Don't try and work it out. Because even in that moment, seeing Jesus saying, well, when will you return, Jesus? When will you come and take us home? And, and He's saying, well, actually, don't worry about that. Get on with the work. Get on with what I've called you to in this season. Why? Because ultimately only God himself knows when that moment will come when he'll intervene in the 24 hours of our day. I want to encourage us this morning to allow your trust to be glued to the omnipotent power of God. For your trust and your faith again to be glued to the omniscient, all-knowing God if he knows all things and the omnipresent everywhere present God of the universe. If we could link in our faith and our trust again to God, I believe that life this year will look so different in the waiting. Number two, be patient. Be patient. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, the vision will happen at the time I have appointed. Who appointed the time? God has appointed it moves steadily towards its goal, and it will not prove false. If it seems slow or delayed, just, that's not how you say wait. How do you say wait? No, 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 you say it like this. Wait. That's how you say it. Let's hear it again. How do you say wait? Wait. Okay, right, that's good. All right. Are we having fun this morning? That's the main thing. If it seems slow or delayed, don't go to McDonald's and get the quick thing. It says just keep waiting. How many of us Christians like hearing that? Just keep waiting. I've been praying. Now I'm going to take it into my own account. No, 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 just keep waiting. How long should we wait? I don't know, but that wait is, is, is where it just, just keep waiting. No one has actually described what that time will look like, but in God, we need to be people that are constantly reliant and trusting God and being patient that it will happen in its right time. Often in our impatience, we think God is late. It's amazing, Jesus arrives four days late to Lazarus' funeral. Four days. Hey, was he on time? No, he was late. 
has laid according to them. I can just imagine Mary and them and going, where is this guy? He is the Savior of the world, but yeah, time. He's not good with time. And we've got friends like that. I know some guys that just never arrive on time. But for Jesus, he was just about on time. Four days late, Lazarus in the grave, but yet in that moment, Jesus was able to come and completely transform this man's life, completely demonstrate something of the power of God to rise and raise someone from the dead. The posture of patience is found in humility. 1 Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up at just the right time. He will lift you up. Where do we humble our souls? Where do we give our souls in patience? It's under his mighty hand. It's not not in a distant far land. It's under his mighty hand. It's not pursuing our own things. It's in his mighty hand. It's understanding that under this mighty hand, there is protection. Under this mighty hand, he will provide. Under this mighty hand, he'll nurture and protect and guard and lead. The hand of God is a powerful picture of a hand that comes to nurture, comes to console, comes to direct and encourage. Under the mighty hand of God is where we find that patience to be able to keep going. Abraham becomes impatient. We know the story with Sarah. Sarah, we need a son. God has promised. We do not see the son taking place. We are old in years. So what will we do? Let's make a plan. Hey, we love making plans, eh? We love making plans. And so what happens in the plan? Ishmael is born. Ishmael is born, not Isaac. How many times if I look in my life, in our married life, in our kids' lives, in the journey that God has had us on, how many Ishmaels have been born in our lives? How many Ishmaels have we allowed to come into our world of trusting God? Where we've pushed God aside, we said, God, we'll make a plan. You want a son, just, just hold off. We know how, we've been around for 100 years. We know how this thing works. We will produce an heir. And God comes, he says, that's not the promise. That's not the promise. Ishmael is not the promise. Isaac is. Don't take Ishmael and call it Isaac. Let's never take Ishmael and call him Isaac. This is God's perfect plan for our lives. Or is this the Ishmael of your lives? Psalm 37 says, Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Don't worry about that. Don't look upon that. Don't look around us. Keep focused on what God has called you to, and he's called you to a promise that's, we, that's worth waiting for. Number three, stay focused. I remember at school, I went to a great school, uh, high school, and uh, Simon was a deputy at that school. Simon, you and I. Glenwood High School. If you don't know Glenwood High School, then you need to go visit it one day. Anyway, great school up in the North Coast. But I remember every year, the first, say, week of the year, I would get into the new class and I would go straight to the window. I don't know if you were that type of student. I want to go straight to the window. I want to sit next to the window. And I would gaze out the window looking at the guy cutting the grass on the main fields. And I would say, yes, I wish I was that oak right now. (laughs) 
That's all I wanted to do is just cut the grass all day because I'm like, this math lesson is just like, come Lord, help us. May the rapture happen. It didn't take long for the teacher to be shouting, McKinley, focus. And then it would be the first seat right in the front of the chalkboard that was there. That's where McKinley would sit for the rest of the year. Number three is this thing of stay focused. Distractions, guys, are all around. 2023 is full of distractions. It will be full of distractions. I guarantee you that. But may you stay focused on what is more important than that which this world can give. Distractions are all around us. We need to come back to what was the last thing God spoke to you. I remember, the, 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 I remember struggling trying to make decisions in God and someone saying that simple thing. What was the last thing God spoke to you? What was the last prophetic word, Mark? What was the last moment you had with him in a quiet time in the morning? Won't you go back to that place again and say, God, have I trusted you for that again? Or have I got distracted with other people's journeys, other people's trajectories, other people's experiences? Have I been distracted by actually comparing myself to others? Or will I come back to a place of going, God, what did you speak over my life? And will I, be, will I stay focused again and committed again to the journey you have me on? I'm amazed how distracted I become when I stop reading his word, when I stop praying and I start to compare. I start to lose heart a bit. I start to become very distracted with everyone else's thing, but yet not the thing that God had called me to. Psalm 1 verse 1 is a great reminder as the Psalms are started out. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit at the seat of mockers. These are all postures, postures that we find ourselves in every day. Every day we are standing in the way of sinners. Every day we find ourselves sitting in the seat of mockers. Every day we are getting counsel from the wicked that is all around us. Psalm 1 is reminding us again that, yes, we do live in this society that we call planet Earth. But his delight, he says, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And you might say, well, what does that mean? No, 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 there's a meditation, there's a posture of complete surrender to the things of God. A complete understanding of saying, God, you have said this, I trusted God, and I will continue to remain focused for Jesus even when there are moments of distraction. Blessed is the man who does not get distracted, but delights in the study of God. And number four, and number four, don't give up. Don't give up. Who loves the story of Joseph? We love the story. It's such a wonderful story, isn't it? Not too sure. Some of you are getting my humor. It's a terrible story. Because I think everyone loves the outcome of Joseph. Exactly. Everyone loves the end of the story. But no one likes the journey. One of the worst things I was ever spoken over when arriving in Johannesburg was a guy came to me and said, I really feel this is going to be your Joseph experience. And at the time, I could see myself rising to glory, but yet I plummeted into the prison cell. See, no, you see, these stories are great, and they're not just stories, they're, they're true accounts, but they accounts for us, for you and I. 
to realize that even though we've read the end of the story, Joseph didn't know the end of the story. Joseph didn't go, hey, I'm going to, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be sold, and then I'm going to go, and then I'm going to be betrayed by my boss and his wife, and I'm going to be thrown into prison, and then I'm going to be there, and I'm going to interpret some dreams, and then I'm going to be released, and I'm going to rule the whole of Egypt. Like, he didn't know that was what the story would be. Can you just imagine putting yourself in his shoes? You see, the story of Joseph ends in Genesis 41, verse 40. It not necessarily ends there, but in a sense, it culminates in this moment. It says, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all of the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. That is the picture that most of us have. Technicolor dream coat and ruling over Egypt, but there is this incredible season that is a season of 13 years. As a 17-year-old teenager that was thrown into slavery by his brothers, sold to actually be used in Egypt, and yet he goes on this journey constantly trusting and not giving up on the process that God had him on. He had some dreams in the back of his mind. The outworking of those dreams looked very different. He thought that actually, ultimately, he would go back to his father's house, and he would see the dreams outworked. But yet, he, in Egypt, in the very environment that enslaved him and captured him, was the very place that God would unlock something of his future. And in that place, the destiny would take place. I want to ask you, in your heart, where is your promised land? Where is your promise fulfilled? I think sometimes we feel like it's back in the family business or it's somewhere else, but yet for him it was in Egypt. Joseph's inheritance was in Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? It wasn't in some promised land flowing with milk and honey. It was in Egypt. It was in that place where he had to remain faithful. He had to remain in a place of constant submission, in a place of constant surrender to what God was doing in his life, and God would raise him up in an instant. Even Isaiah says, I'm the Lord, so when the right time comes, I'll make it happen quickly. It's in this moment where we realize that as we don't give up on the process of God, we recognize that the inheritance, God, that you've called me to might not lie across the seas. It might not lie even in a different boardroom, God. Actually, maybe it's right here, right now in this environment, and all that I need to do, God, is just to remain diligent and not to give up. I think we live with this elusive picture of going, that's where the dream is. And you know what happens is we sacrifice our whole lives pursuing something that is just beyond the rainbow. And yet for Joseph, the story that, is so, that so arrests me is the fact that he was able to work the Egypt system. He was able to serve an unrighteous ruler. He was able to dedicate his life to what God had called him to in a foreign land. And because of that, God would raise him up to rule the very thing 
that enslaved him. You might feel enslaved this morning. And I'm trusting that actually God would bring redemption and freedom. I don't know what you might feel enslaved in, but I'm telling you right now, if we can take and adopt something of the story of Joseph, that at just the right time, God will release you out of that place of slavery into a place of rulership in the very environment that once slaved you, you would rule over. I'd love to just call the band up as we end off. At just the right time, Joseph quickly exchanged prison rags to royal attire. I want to encourage us with this. It is a powerful place to be in the waiting room of heaven. Our clocks might be ticking, but eternity seals our destiny at just the right time. I want to encourage you in this room this morning that we know the Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 portion of Scripture so well that it says He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The beauty of your life, the beauty of my life, the beauty of our children's lives, it's coming in time. Let's not be fooled by the instantaneous, by trusting for the now, hopping around to different things, trying our own thing, but yet actually saying, God, if you've called us to God to be steadfast, if, you, if we are trusted at the right time, you will release us, that Lord, actually in this moment, in this moment, Lord God, we don't want to give up. In this moment, God, we want to stay focused. In this moment, God, we want to be patient again. We don't like that word patience, do we? We want to be patient again. In this time, we want to trust you again. I don't know what 2023 holds, people. I don't know what it holds. But one thing I do know is I know the one who breaks through into our time and releases his favor and his glory into this world, into your life. You've been praying for your child to come back to Christ. Do I carry on praying? Yes. Because at just the right time, God will break through. You've been trusting for healing. At just the right time, God will break through. You've been trusting for employment. At just the right time, God will break through. just the right time. Can we stand, please? I really feel that there's some of us when I said that Ishmael is not the promise but Isaac is. I really felt like for some of us in this room, you've, you've settled on Ishmael. You've made a plan. You've seen something outworked in your life and you're saying, this is okay. This is probably what it was meant to be. But it's not quite the promise. In your ear, you can hear the promise being spoken, but you look at Ishmael and you go, well, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just make do. This is just what it is. I really felt this morning that there's a laying down of the Ishmael and saying, God, will I come back again to a place where I trust you for your promise? I believe that there's words that have been spoken over people 
that have brought people to a place where they've given up. You've given up. I remember many, many years ago when I was a young Christian and I think Megan and I, we're not young Christian, but Megan and I just got married. And I did some stuff and the guy said, you've disqualified yourself for the rest of your life. Spoke that over me. You're disqualified for the rest of your life. And I remember sitting there and I said, God, well, if your promise is this, then God, what do I trust? Do I get distracted by what others have said? Or God, do I hold on to what you have said? Because you are the redemptive God. And we might have made mistakes along the way, but God is saying, I want to continue on the journey of bringing you to a place of redemption so that ultimately you stand justified. And so, Father, I pray in this moment that, Lord, even as we stand as a people, we stand, Lord God, secure. We stand, Lord God, knowing, Father God, that, Lord, your gracious hand is upon us as we wait. You don't leave us nor forsake us, but God, you arrest us in this moment. And Lord, I pray that even this morning, we would choose to build our lives again upon you. That we'd build our lives, that our foundation of our marriages, our foundation of our parenting, our foundational God of, our, of just our, our businesses and, and the work environments we find ourselves in, God, that today, Lord Jesus... We place it upon you. Won't you build us in this moment, oh God?